You're listening to a Sunday morning message by Authentic Church. Well, good morning. It's lovely to see you here with us today. Um, I want to start this morning with something that you have to do. So I would like you to think of a time when you've helped somebody expecting nothing in return. So maybe, for example, you've cooked a meal for a friend or a neighbour when they were in need at a difficult time. Maybe you've gone out of your way to give somebody a lift. Maybe you've paid for something that somebody needed that they couldn't afford it. And I want you to think, whatever it was, how you felt about that gesture. I bet you felt good about it. Hopefully in a humble way, but not, not in a proud way. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. As some of you will know, we're starting our 2023 with our Back to Basics sermon series. And we're looking at basically the foundations of authentic church and why we're here and what Nigel and I have kind of prayed about and prepared before we started Authentic what we want to build our foundations on. And we've, Nigel has t- told us already about the Great Commandment and the Great Commission and the five key purposes of the church. If you can stick the slide up for me. Thank you. And they are what we believe are the five key purposes of authentic church. Loving God, belonging together, serving others, learning and growing, and sharing the good news. And on the slide, you'll see a little diagram on there. We've got three concentric circles, and in the centre of everything, we've got loving God, serving others, sharing the good news, learning and growing. And all around those is belonging, which is what Nigel spoke about last week, the fellowship, because we believe that the fellowship is what holds all of that together. And then you'll see around the outside of all of those in our outside circle is culture, Here at Authentic, we want our culture, our values to be built on these five foundational um, aspects of church, if you like. And so we've heard already in our series about loving God through worship. Nigel spoke last week about loving others through fellowship. And this week, I'm going to be talking about serving others and what that means to us as a church and what it means to us as individuals. Thank you. You can turn that off. You might sometimes hear serving referred to in churches as ministry. Well, it's a very christian easy type word, so I prefer the word serving, but if I use the word ministry, they mean pretty much the same thing. Dictionary definition of ministry is the duties or profession of a minister, minister of religion, which I personally find a little bit unhelpful because it implies that the only person who needs to do any ministry is anyone who gets paid in a church role. And actually, that's not true, is it? Because we're, a Christian ministry is so much more than that. It's for every Christian and every church. So that's why I prefer to use the word serving. Having said that, in the Bible... The words serving and ministry both come from the Greek word diakonia, which refers to helps and service of various kinds. So it can range from spiritual things, so biblical teaching, also to practical things, so giving of provisions, supplies, support, finances, that kind of thing to those in in need. Ministry or serving 
is demonstrating God's love to others by meeting their needs in the name of Jesus. Here's a passage we should all be super familiar with by now. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, I should be able, you should be able to tell me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. This is one of the foundational texts of authentic church. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourself. But did you know that Jesus is actually quoting Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18? And so this is a scripture that would have been really familiar to all of those listening to him. And in fact, the whole of Leviticus chapter 19 is called Various Laws. It's not the most exciting chapter in the Bible. It does have lots of do not statements, such as do not turn to idols, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge, do not steal, do not lie, do not pervert justice. And it goes on and on with these do not statements. But nestled right in the middle of the chapter is the opposite of that, a do statement. It says, love your neighbour as yourself. Who is my neighbour? Well, Leviticus chapter 19 gives us some clues about this. It says, your fellow countrymen and women, those who work for or with you, those who are poor or foreign, refugees, the weak, vulnerable, the elderly. When Jesus was asked, who is my neighbour? He told the story of the Good Samaritan. And I preached a a sermon on this back in October 2022, so I'm not going to go into great detail. We know the story. A Jewish man gets attacked and is left for dead by the side of the road. A priest and a Levite pass on by without helping him when you'd have thought that they would be the ones who would help him. Along comes a Samaritan who is actually a hated person in those days. He, was a, he would have been a foreigner and he would not have been um, helpful or, or, or happy to help the Jew in theory. But as we all know from the story, he did help the Jew. He went out of his way to help the man, in fact. And Jesus asked those listening to the parable, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to him? And those listening answered, the one who had mercy on him. So the one who, in theory, was the least likely to show that man compassion and kindness was actually the one who helped the man and went out of his way to support him. I came across a story which I really hope is true, and if it isn't, it's a great story anyway, about a preacher who preached maybe the shortest sermon ever. So he started by reading the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan, and he, he started his sermon by saying this, we all know what this means, just do it. And then he sat down again. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, you know, that's, that's a message, isn't it? So, thinking about serving, who is our neighbour? Who should we be serving? Who should we be ministering to? It's very clear that it's everybody. 
even people we don't particularly like, even people who don't particularly like us. So that's who we should be serving, everybody. How should we serve? Well, Jesus provides the pattern and model for Christian ministry. Matthew 20, 28 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And after washing his disciples' feet, Jesus said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. In 1 Peter 4, verse 10, it says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So Jesus was providing the model for how we should serve, and God expects us to use gifts and talents and opportunities that he gives us to benefit others. Our vision for serving in authentic church looks a little bit like this. We want a culture, that outer circle I showed you a moment ago, where people are enthusiastic to serve and are placed in roles within the church where they feel empowered to use their gifts. Not necessarily just because there's a need, because that can be a disaster, as Nigel and I know personally. When we were young Christians, we wanted to go to Bible college, and we went to the deacons at the church at the time, and we said, we we think we'd been called. The deacons prayed about that, and they decided the time was not right. But instead, in their wisdom... They decided that it would be really good if we proved our calling by leading the youth group, which did not work out because that was not our gifting. So we were were not in a place where we should have been to serve, and it didn't work out very well, did it, Nigel? No. So, but in in authentic church, our vision for serving is, as well as serving one another in the church, almost more importantly than that, is we want to be a church who serves our local community in meeting every need, whether it's spiritual, financial, practical, emotional, um, yeah, and the others. We want to be a place and a people with generous hearts, overflowing with love for God and with love for one another, just as the greatest commandment teaches us, that we want to live out the love your neighbour as yourself verse. We want to be an embodiment of that. Looking around today, though, you can see that currently we're a very small church and there are few opportunities for serving. But we're hoping to possibly move into some new premises, which might necessitate the use of the dreaded rotors to help us understand who's going to do what when. But rather than making us feel discouraged by that, I would like to think that this would motivate us to want to serve one another rather than being something that's a burden. We've probably all been in churches, I know where I have, where we've served in a particular task and we've become resentful about it because we've done it every single week. We've burnt out when we see other people who aren't serving in the way we think that maybe they should. Because it is a fact that in most churches, the minority of people are the ones that are doing all the stuff. But we don't want to be like most churches. 
We want our culture to be one where everyone wants to get stuck in because we all love one another and we see that as part of our love for one another. Serving, however, tends to be the opposite of our natural human inclination because naturally as humans we are pretty selfish. But let's not be a church that says, I'm looking for a church that meets my needs and blesses me. But let's think about saying, I'm looking for a place where I can serve and be a blessing. Let me reassure you, though, we don't want authentic church to be a place where people are just coming and doing stuff every single week because that just becomes discouraging. So we want to make sure that people serving in our church are doing it with full hearts and with breaks as well. (laughs) We want to keep the levels of enthusiasm high. We want to work as a team. We want to celebrate what's going on and how how we love each other. Having said it's great to serve one another within our fellowship, I would like to think that we are called to serve outside the church as well as within it. Nigel's been reading a book recently. um, He's trying to persuade me to read it. Not that I don't want to read it, I just haven't got the time at the moment. He said to me, read the epilogue in this book. The book's called Velvet Elvis by Rob Bell. It just happened to be on the side in the kitchen yesterday while I was preparing dinner. So I thought, I'll have a look at the epilogue while I've got a few minutes. But actually the book opened onto a completely other page. And the top of the page was called serving others. And I thought, huh, I I think God might be saying something here. This is what the paragraph said, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant, so I'm just going to read it to you. The church doesn't exist for itself. It exists to serve the world. It's not ultimately about the church. It's about all the people God wants to bless through the church. When the church loses sight of this, it loses its heart. This is especially true today in the world we live in where so many people are hostile to the church, many for good reason. We reclaim the church as a blessing machine, not only because that is what Jesus intended from the beginning, but also because serving people is the only way their perceptions of church are ever going to change. It's so true, isn't it? So I thank God for directing me to that paragraph yesterday. So I would like to briefly look at, and I promise it will be brief, four points to describe what characterises a servant. And I don't mean the paid kind. So number one, servants pay attention to the needs around them. As servants, we should always be on the lookout for ways to help others. When we see a need, we should seize the moment to meet it if possible. Because the Bible commands us to do that. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. When God puts a need right in front of us, he's giving us the opportunity to step into that need and be part of the solution. But things sometimes stop us, don't they? I know I've missed opportunities to help others because I've thought things like, well, I'm too busy. Someone else who's more qualified will come along and help. I'm afraid of being rejected if I offer help. 
We can easily convince ourselves that someone else will do it. But maybe we should be asking ourselves, if I don't offer the help in this situation and nobody else does either, what will happen then? Let's not miss occasions for serving because we're worried or afraid or because we lack sensitivity or spontaneity. We need to keep a lookout for needs right in front of us and be flexible about how to meet that need. We may only get one chance to serve that person, to help and support them. That might be the one opportunity to do it. So let's take advantage of those moments, however small they might first appear. Point number two, servants do their best with what they have. Servants don't make excuses, procrastinate or wait for better circumstances. They don't say, well, one of these days or when the time is right, they just get on and do what needs to be done. God expects us to do what we can with what we have wherever we are. Less than perfect service is usually better than no service at all. One reason many people don't serve is they fear they're not good enough to serve. Well, that's simply not true. Jesus never said, only serve when you're perfect. Come back when you've got your life sorted and then you can serve. He never said any of that. Ecclesiastes, in fact, in chapter 11, verse 4, says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. Just to be clear, we are not saved by our service to others. It's not about what we do, but we are saved for service to others. God calls us to make a difference with our lives, to use what we have to make the circumstances of those around us better, more comfortable, to bless one another. If you're sitting there thinking, yes, but, but all I can offer is this, then do this to the best of your ability, however small that might seem or however large that might be. Whether it's washing up, praying for people, preaching, whatever it is, if you're doing it, then someone else doesn't have to. Romans 12, uh, 4 to 8 says this, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And we could go on. If it is leading prayers, then lead prayers. If it is visiting the lonely, then visit them. If it is putting out chairs, then put out the chairs. You get the idea. Do the best with what you have. Point number three. Servants do every task with equal dedication. Colossians 3.23, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Whether we're preaching, welcoming people at the door, 
washing up, whether you have a low profile or a high profile ministry, whether you're serving inside the church, outside the church, we should do it with all our heart. Galatians 6 verse 3 says, if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. God doesn't see important and less important tasks. He just sees tasks and opportunities to serve. And he expects us to do the same. We've already mentioned that Jesus got involved in the menial task of washing his disciples' feet. Nothing was beneath him because he came to serve. It wasn't in spite of his greatness that he did these things. It was because of it and he expects us to follow his example here's a true story during the american revolution a man in civilian clothes rode past a group of soldiers repairing a small defensive barrier their leader was shouting instructions but making no attempt to help them when the rider asked the corporal why he did not help his men he retorted with great dignity sir i am a corporal The stranger apologised, dismounted and proceeded to help the exhausted soldiers. When the job was finished, he turned to the corporal and said, Mr. Corporal, next time you have a job like this and not enough men to do it, go to your commander-in-chief and I will come and help you again. The man helping with the repairs was George Washington. When we involve ourselves with seemingly small ministries, then we grow to be more like Jesus. We will never be too important to be exempt from the mundane. Point number four, servants maintain a low profile. They don't promote or call attention to themselves. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 5, it says, in every relationship, Each of you must wrap around yourself the apron of a humble servant because God resists you when you are proud but multiplies grace and favour when you are humble. Rick Warren notes that spiritual maturity occurs when a believer takes off their bib and puts on an apron. This is where the Pharisees went wrong because they turned helping others giving and even prayer into a performance. We shouldn't be serving to receive applause or approval from others. We should be content to serve quietly in the background if necessary, knowing that God applauds and approves our service. Could you put the slides up, slide up please? There are some quotes from uh, various people on these slides which Speak for themselves, really. I'm just going to read them out. No man ever served God by doing things tomorrow. Charles Spurgeon. He who does not serve God where he is would not serve God anywhere else. Also Charles Spurgeon. The only way you can serve God is by serving other people. Rick Warren. Make sure you are doing what is important to God not just what is important to everyone else you know, Joyce Meyer. The best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others, Mahatma Gandhi. Thank you. 
The church exists to love people, sorry, to love God by serving people. And therefore, if we're part of a church, we're called to love God by serving people. And as part of serving, we should pay attention to the needs around us. We should do our best with what we have. We should do every task with equal dedication and, where possible, maintain a low profile. John Wesley, who was an incredible servant of God, had this as his motto. Do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Next time God puts a need in front of you, instead of thinking about all the reasons you shouldn't get involved, how you're not the best person to help, how you don't have time, you don't have the resources to help, I encourage you to be bold and courageous and to step into the need. Offer your service in whatever way you can to support the need, and in that way, to show your love for God. I just want to finish with these thoughts from Rick Warren. At the end of your life on earth, you will stand before God, and he is going to evaluate how well you served others with your life. Think about the implications of that. One day, God will compare how much time and energy we spent on ourselves compared with what we invested in serving others. At that point, all our excuses for self-centeredness will sound hollow. I was too busy, or I had my own goals, or I was preoccupied with working, having fun, or looking after my family. To all excuses, God will respond, sorry, wrong answer. I created, saved, called you, and commanded you to live a life of service. What part did you not understand? The truth is we are only fully alive when we're helping others. Jesus said, if you insist on saving your life, you will lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. If you are not serving, you are just existing. Sobering thought. So my prayer for us as I finish my message this morning is that we will discover God's love for us and our love for other people as we serve him. Wherever we are, in whatever way we can, be that small, big, great, low profile, whatever it is, that we will be blessed as we serve him. Amen.